What comes to mind when you hear the word authority? Is authority good or bad? Some of us, if we were playing the, the word, a word association game and we had the word authority come up, we might have a, very, a, a variety of, uh, of connotations or of associations with the word authority. Some of us might have negative associations with that word. We might associate authority with abuse, selfishness, totalitarianism, or control. Maybe you had a challenging experience with someone in authority, a principal who wouldn't listen. A security officer or a policeman or woman who uh, overreacted. A principal who wouldn't listen. I already mentioned that. A husband who manipulated circumstances or abusive parents. On the other hand, most of us have probably had some kind of positive experience with authority. You might think of order, protection, security, decision-making, responsibility that comes with authority. Maybe you had a principal who cared well and listened to students. Maybe you felt uh, safe and secure because of the presence of police nearby. Maybe you had a boss who was willing to make difficult decisions and take responsibility. Maybe your husband leads well and cares for your family. Maybe you had parents who, who encouraged you and sacrificed for you while at the same time teaching respect. See, the word authority is a neutral word, but our experiences with authority oftentimes change our, uh, how we might think about that word. We can either think positively or negatively based on our experiences. But one thing is true, authorities gone bad can wreak havoc in society. Imagine a dictator who dwells in a lavish palace, but his people live in poverty. Imagine a husband or father who's king of his castle, but his wife and children are terrified of him. Imagine a leader who manipulates his people for selfish gain. Authority gone wrong does terrible damage. So what's the answer to a bad authority? Well, some have suggested that the answer to bad authority is no authority. Let's just get rid of all authorities and kind of just, you know, live and let live, so to speak. But how's that working? See, that kind of utopian view of society doesn't take into reality the existence of sin, of, of challenge, of, of people who manipulate, even without, without authority. Everybody's trying to get some sort of control. But what if the answer to bad authority is simply good authority? What if the answer to self-seeking, abusive, manipulated power was sacrificial, responsible, and other-seeking authority? My, we would all love that, right? That the ones who are in authority would sacrifice for the care of those they lead. Well, last week, <clears throat> Pastor Mike preached the middle section of Luke 4. Jesus begins his ministry after being baptized by John the Baptist. He's taken into the wilderness to be, tempt, uh, to be tested or tempted by the devil. And then he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth and gives the, the equivalent of an inauguration speech. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61 to give the priorities for his mission. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus sets the priorities 
for his ministry. And now in our text today, we get to learn the one who, the one who makes these promises, if these promises will actually come true. In presidential politics, an inauguration is extremely important, but everyone would say the first 100 days of a presidency is where we get to see of whether or not action follows promises. Well, today we get to ask of Jesus, the one who makes promises, does he actually have authority to carry those out? And we'll find that Jesus in all authority proclaims the gospel to all humanity. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our hosts will provide one for you. You can find on those Bibles that are being provided, you can find Luke chapter 4, verse 31 on page 835, 835. Um, if you're not used to looking at a Bible, um, that's a gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home. Um, and then the big numbers on the page are chapter numbers. So Luke 4, big number. And then we're going to be starting in Luke 431, the small number, 31. So, and if you would, as, as you turn there, uh, stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in this text, we see that Jesus is the Son of God with authority, and he exercises this authority in three different ways, in three different fears. But then at the end, the text makes a surprising move. The one with authority does something unique, does something different. And that's where we find a lot about Jesus's identity and mission. But first, we'll see three areas where Jesus exercises authority. First, Jesus exercises authority in his teaching. Jesus was in this quaint little town of Capernaum. Capernaum is a beautiful little village right on the northwestern banks of the Sea of Galilee. Throughout the Gospels, Capernaum is a reg makes a regular occurrence. It serves as a sort of headquarters for Jesus' ministry. 
And similar to his time in Nazareth, Jesus is preaching or teaching in the synagogue. And that day it would have been common for traveling rabbis, traveling teachers to go around to various places, villages and teach. So Jesus is a sort of guest preacher. This is a very ordinary uh, Sabbath gathering. But those in attendance notice something unique in Jesus. Look at verse 32. They were astonished or amazed at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Jesus was unlike any teacher they had ever heard. See, in this time, rabbis, teachers would have, would have commonly made a practice of quoting other people as a sort of authority. And we do this as presenters or as teachers today as well. We make a point and we quote some sort of authority to prove our point. Uh, we've done this in modern society all the time. The last two years have taught us how uh, trusted authorities really matter. And when we can't trust authority, that becomes a challenge as well. You might have opinions about politics, ethnicity, COVID, or any number of issues. And in those discussions that you've had around the dinner table, uh, you've said, well, so-and-so says, and that proves my point. Or so-and-so says, and that proves my point. The challenge is when so-and-so disagrees with themselves. But authorities matter. We quote to prove a point. But Jesus doesn't quote another authority. Jesus isn't teaching the law and say, as... This author says, Pastor Thabiti says, or writes about this, and he, he, he writes that Jesus taught the Old Testament as if it was his autobiography. Jesus is the authority. It would have been unnecessary, even contradictory for Jesus to quote another authority because there is no other higher authority than himself. He teaches with authority, unlike anything they had ever heard. This reminds us of a passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, and throughout the sermon, he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Your teachers have said this, you've read this, but I say. See, Jesus is the authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Matthew makes the comment of this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Jesus teaches with authority. See, in the, the whole Bible flows from the breath and mind of the triune God. Jesus says, this is my word. He teaches the true ways of the Lord. Do you believe that Jesus' authority matters more than any other authority? Is Jesus' authority, is the word of God just another voice among many for you? Or is it the supreme authoritative word in your life? Do you read the Bible as mere suggestions? Or as the authority to believe and to obey? Jesus amazes these people because he teaches as one with authority. Friends, if that's true, then the Bible must play a central role in our lives. Maybe you've started a, a New Year's resolution trying to read through the Bible. You may have gotten to Leviticus already. Keep going. Even that word is authoritative for us. But the Bible must play a central role in our lives. That's why it plays a central role in our church. That's why when we preach, we preach through texts of Scripture as the authority. 
See, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes, if you listen to my words and then obey them, you're like the wise man who builds his life on the rock. The, the rains come, the floods uh, arise, the storm is great, but that house stands because it's built on authority, on the rock. But if you're here today and your life is not built on the authority of God's word, then your life is like the one who's built on sand. When the trials of life come, the rains pour, the floods arise, and you feel tossed, if your life's not built on the authority of God's word, then you will be like the sand that washes away and will fall greatly. Jesus has authority in his teaching. Well, Jesus goes on to express that authority in another way. Jesus exercises his authority then in the synagogue over evil spirits. Jesus exercises authority over evil spirits. The gathering in the synagogue is suddenly interrupted by someone who had a special announcement. The man is possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cries out with a loud voice. And the ESV captures the translation, the language here, quite well. The man cries out, Ha! Almost as a dismissive way of saying, I see that authority, but ha! Who do you think you are? The man's not laughing at something Jesus said. Jesus is no jokester. He's being dismissive of, on the authoritative word of God. The man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus interrupts him. In verse 35, he's, Jesus rebukes him. Be silent and come out of him. The demon then throws this man on the floor but, and, and leaves him. And miraculously, the man is not injured at all by this violent throw. But look again in verse 36. <clears throat> and they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out of him. See, when we think about and we see in the Bible the reality of the spiritual realm, we might be tempted or fall into two different uh, kinds of camps. Uh, one option, one camp might be like uh, the influence of many modern in our, moderns in our culture or uh, our contemporary society might be to quickly undermine or, uh, or uh, just belittle the existence of the spiritual realm. It doesn't seem rational enough to believe in Satan and his demons. So therefore, just eh, that, that can't really be true. But the Bible clearly teaches the existence of evil forces in our world. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, about the spiritual battle that we are in. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you tend to undermine or underestimate the spiritual forces around us? Friend, this ain't no game. And especially, let's apply this to what we've already talked about in terms of local witness, evangelistically. See, you might be prone to think, if you're more rationalistic, that if I just provide enough evidence, if I just have the right answer to that question, if I just shake this person and win the argument, then they'll convert, right? That's not how the Bible describes it. 
Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul in another place. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, friends, your unbelieving friends and neighbors, and if you're here today and not a Christian, see, those people in our life that we long to see trust in Jesus, they're not stupid. They're blinded. They cannot see the glory of Christ. This is a spiritual battle, which is why prayer and evangelism is so important. That we're asking God to do something that only he can do. So if you tend to underestimate the spiritual battle that we're in, friend, let me encourage you. Put on the armor of God and fight that battle. But there's also a tendency for some people to make too much out of evil forces in the existence of Satan. And this can be the error of many churched or religious folk. While we must, not, we, we, we must not underestimate, but we must not exaggerate their power as well. We should be cautious about thinking that the devil is behind every sickness, flat tire, or problem with a microphone. Sometimes I hear people, or Christians, talk as if Satan is God's like evil stepbrother or something. His evil equal. That's not the case. While the devil has great power and we need to be on guard, we also need to be reminded that Jesus is the one with all authority. Look again at Luke 4.36. And they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Whatever fears we have of Satan and his demons, all those must be Come under, must come under the recognition that Jesus is the one with authority. And let's apply this again evangelistically. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 doesn't say the minds of the unbelievers are blinded, therefore we have no hope in evangelism. No, that's way too good for that. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, what's remarkable, friends, is that the God of the universe who spoke the universe into existence, who by the authority of his very word created the earth, who created us, is able to speak life and light to the unbelievers who are currently blinded. You are not alone in evangelism. Our friends and neighbors and family members may be blinded to the realities of the gospel in front of them, but God who spoke light into darkness, who spoke the world into existence, can speak life into them as well. God has authority over even the evil spirits among us. This is supernatural power. Do you tend to be afraid of the evil forces? Do you talk as if they're winning? Let me encourage you to know that Jesus Christ is power. There's a young boy in our church growing up who came to my dad and was saying that he was having nightmares of demons. <clears throat> and he was asking my dad to pray for him. And my dad said, you know, let's pray that Jesus would kick those demons' butts. 
And we need reminded, friends, that Jesus has authority over that world as well. So the people hear about Jesus' authority. They hear about his teaching. They see, they witness this miracle. And then in verse 37, the reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. The demons may not have been permitted to talk about him, but those who witnessed these things certainly were not going to shut up. So they tell people. And we see again, as the passage goes on, Jesus exercises his authority in a third way. Jesus exercises his authority over disease. Over disease. After finishing in the synagogue, Jesus goes to Simon, that is Peter's house. And his mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And, and Peter and others were encouraging, were imploring Jesus to come and to see her. Jesus, or Peter here, is the model son-in-law. Take note, men. Uh, this is a way to treat your mother-in-law. He's, he's concerned about her. He's caring for her. Okay, we don't know why she had this fever. It could have been just a mere symptom of a deeper issue. But no matter what, they were, uh, this was a serious, a grave condition. If, if this was happening in 2022, uh, Peter's mother-in-law might be encouraged to take a couple of Advil or uh, maybe some, some serious antibiotics or seek out uh, more help or treatment. But when Jesus comes to the house, he doesn't go to the medicine cabinet to solve this problem. He stands over her and he rebukes the fever. And immediately she was healed and began to serve. Peter's mother-in-law didn't have to go through a five or 10-day quarantine. She didn't have to wait a little while for the fog of her symptoms to subside. No, because of Jesus' word over her fever, she got up immediately and began to serve. It wasn't as if there wasn't enough help around the house. No, to show the, uh, the, the true, immediate, and completeness of that healing, she got up and did what she would have been doing had she been feeling well, because at that moment, she felt perfectly fine. Well, then when they hear about that, the floodgates open and people are wanting to come from all over the area. See, this was a Sabbath. So uh, at that time, um, you couldn't move a whole lot on the Sabbath. You could, there was only short distances that you could walk during that time. So people were waiting then for the sun to set before they were free to move about the country. But as that sun was setting down, people started to come and see Jesus. See, I'm, I'm imagining a little bit like this. Imagine as a parent with your sick child, something more than just a common cold. Maybe a paralyzed boy or girl. Maybe a husband whose wife has been laid up for a long time. Things are looking dark, grave. You're nervous. But you've heard that there's this man, Jesus, who's down in Capernaum, who's healing people. I imagine just that on their front porch, and the sun's setting. They're waiting to be able to move on the Sabbath. And I just think of this little boy who looks at dad and says, Dad, is the sun down far enough yet? Just a few more minutes, son. Dad, dad, is it far enough yet? Just wait, dude. Dad, it's down now. Let's go. And see, look at how that passage describes Jesus. It says, everyone who came to him, he laid his hand on them, and they were healed. You just read the Gospels and find yourself just amazed at the compassion of Christ. That he would see every person who came. He'd touch them, and they were healed. 
Friends, I'm not sure exactly all that you've gone through. Many of us have struggled in these last couple of years. But Jesus sees every single one of us. He cares compassionately and intimately for each of his children. He cares, he sees, and he knows. He's trustworthy. And especially as we think about his power over disease, we might struggle with that because in our society, we're constantly chasing that next medicine, that next treatment, that next procedure. That will be the one to ultimately heal. But we need reminded by the psalmist. Some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus stands in authority over disease. So it should be pretty straightforward so far. Jesus has authority. And he exercises that authority in his teaching over evil spirits and over disease. And what we're beginning to see here in Jesus' life and ministry is this outbreak of the kingdom. The evil forces and the sinful nature are being pushed back. They're being rebuked and put put in their right place. Jesus is the one with authority. And yet we ask ourselves, why not bring the kingdom now? Why not bring it then? Look at verse 42. When day had come, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. They're saying the Messiah might be here. This may be the one. He's showing these signs. Let's do this now. We would expect Jesus to prepare an army to get ready to take over. He's the one in authority. Why wouldn't he bring it? And maybe for us who have struggled even in this last year with the struggle of uh, maybe struggles in our minds or physical struggles, you might say, I've prayed for Jesus to heal and he hasn't. I've longed for that to take place too and it didn't take place. See, I held the hand of a dying family member this last year. I spent months in prayer asking for healing And God didn't answer it in the way that I wanted. If Jesus is a one with authority, then why wouldn't we see the kingdom in all of its glory now? And this is where Jesus takes this turn. This one with authority doesn't act in his authority in the way that we necessarily expect. Certainly not in the way that people want to. And we need to look back at how Jesus rebukes the demons here. In verse 34 and verse 41, the demons have titles for Jesus. They say that you are the Holy One of God. Or verse 41, you are the Son of God. And in both instances, what the demons say is accurate. It's true theology. And Jesus still tells them to be silent. Why would he do that? Well, in verse 41, we find out why. Look at verse 41, the end of it. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. See, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. It describes what he's come to do. Jesus is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's come to be the Savior to set them free. And what these titles do, what Luke knows, is that Jesus is truly God, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And he's also the Christ, the Messiah. That those two titles are now combined in the person and work of Jesus. And you would expect then for these things, these miracles, to bring the kingdom. But Jesus in his authority didn't come simply to do miracles. 
He didn't come simply to teach. He came to proclaim. Our final point, and this is where Jesus kind of shows his true identity and his mission. Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is God in the flesh. And as he, just when he was developing a following, just when he was developing a crew, he leaves. But look at how intentional verse 43 is. He says, I must preach good news, the good news of the kingdom to other towns, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus essentially is showing how he's applying Isaiah 61 that he quoted earlier in Luke 4. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives in recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's favor. See, these miracles were mere pointers to his deity. They were mere foreshadowings of the dawning of the new age. They were the appetizer of the kingdom where we will see where the sinful nature and evil forces will be put forever in their right place. But Jesus, in his initial coming, came to proclaim. He came on mission. Think about it this way. Every single one of those people who Jesus saw, who he healed, eventually got sick again and died. They, they eventually succumbed to the sinful nature in their flesh. But see, Jesus didn't just come for a temporary miracle, for a temporary healing. He came so that in his life of authority, in his perfect life, and then in his death on the cross, that he would conquer sin and Satan. Remember, he came to crush the serpent's head. He came to have victory over evil powers. He came to end sin and sickness. And in his death and resurrection and ascension, he accomplishes all those things. So therefore, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom to other places as well. The good news is for all People. And Jesus now is foreshadowing the mission for his people to take that good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you remember when in Luke 4, when, when Jesus said that these things are fulfilled in their hearing, that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, they weren't upset yet. They wanted that Messiah. They were only upset when he included Gentiles, especially enemies of Israel, in that mission. The gospel is good news for all people, and we need to take it out. This sets the priority for the, our mission as a church. The, the preaching of the gospel, the good news of Christ, must be a central role. We, we care well for people. We have compassion on others. We care about needs in our society, but the good news of the gospel must be the priority. As John Piper has said, we care about all human suffering, especially eternal suffering. Jesus, in all authority, proclaims the gospel, the kingdom, to all humanity. And we need to be reminded that as of today, there's still somewhere between 2 and 3.7 or 3.2 billion people on the planet who have never heard of Christ. But in his authority, he sends us out. And in his authority, we can take hope and trust. And in his authority, we can bear the good news of Christ knowing that he is the sovereign one. I'll conclude with a story from St. Patrick. We might think of St. Patrick merely as a, 
a drinking holiday in America. But St. Patrick was a real person. And he wasn't Irish, he was British. He grew up in a Christian home, but wasn't converted yet. And at 16, he was captured by Irish pirates and taken back to Ireland and served as a slave for several years. While he was a slave, he remembered the gospel of his youth and he converted to Christianity. And he writes about how the authority of Christ gave him perseverance, encouraged him, even in the midst of his sufferings. Eventually, ran away and got back to Britain. And while he was back in Britain, he sensed the call to be trained in the gospel and to take that gospel where? Back to Ireland, to the very people who held him captive. And in his preaching of the gospel, thousands of people converted. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the one with authority. And the good news of the kingdom is meant for all. So in, in the authority of Jesus, let's proclaim his name among the nations where there's great need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your authority over all things. That Jesus, the divine, eternal Son, made flesh to dwell among us, to show us the Father, to die for us, to raise again on the third day to prove his power over sin and Satan and now reigning in total control. Lord, those, that, that sovereignty, that kind of authority makes us ask a lot of questions, a lot of why questions. But Lord, we confess and recognize that you alone are the one in all authority as God over all things. We pray that we would submit our lives to you so we might live in the conscious security of your power and sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen.